0: And then lastly, let me call uh, Daniel Deducian up to do our scripture reading this morning.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, Today, I'll be reading from Acts 10, verses 1 through 48. All of it. If you are following along in the Pew Bibles, please turn to page 918. At Caesarea... Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days.
0: Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Right into the fire you go. Well, good morning, church. Thank you to... Lauren and Samuel and Jared and Mark for leading us and for Craig just giving that nice overview of our heart and heartbeat and call as a church community coming together and it's just good it's good to see you this morning it's good to dig into the word and and really to to, to break this up the reason we want to read all of God's word is it's all useful and profitable for us but to break up the story uh, would be incomplete and there's so much here and so so it's so rich and It will even be repeated in chapter 11. If you've read ahead, you'll see that. Why why is that the case? Because it's such a pivotal moment for the church. Throughout, Throughout history, this moment is as significant as any other, I would say. Pause there. I wonder if you have those kinds of moments in your own life. Pivotal moments that seemingly change the whole course of your story of your narrative. Maybe for some of you, they come to mind quickly. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, coming to put your trust in Him, whether that was over a course of time or in a single moment, that likely is one of those life-shifting, trajectory-changing moments. Sometimes it's hard to know if we're in the midst of one of those in the present. Catherine and I may have had one yesterday as we celebrated her graduation from the University of Washington, educational leadership masters, and we see the course of life changing, wondering what God might have in store. And days, weeks, months, sometimes it takes to look back and see. I wonder if you have some of those moments. What comes to mind for me is a a really innocuous kind of moment that I, I wonder if it changed the whole course of my life and and our life, and it wasn't the moment that I came to put my faith in Jesus. Those were also life changing moments, but uh, life changing events, encounters. But Catherine and I were exploring a transfer of school for her when I was We were 19, and she was looking to transfer from Washington State University to a school with a stronger education program. I had to say that tonight. Also to be maybe a little bit closer to home. Uh, Ironically, I know it wasn't about me because at that point we had been dating for about a year and I was uh, preparing to transfer from the University of Washington, which had a very strong program in everything uh, (laughs) except for biblical studies and I was looking to transfer to Biola University in Southern California, but happened to accompany Catherine as we toured the school. One of her previous uh, instructors was dean of secondary education at Northwest University, and, and it was so close to my home, literally two blocks away, that we walked up there, and he was giving us a tour, and it never was on my radar to transfer to Northwest. Not only was it so close, and I liked the idea of adventure and sunshine, uh, but they were Pentecostals, and I wanted to keep my salvation, so... <laughs> pastor's humor, grace abounds, never was on my radar to attend or even explore attending Northwest University. But while walking with Catherine, we were in in a hallway in one of the buildings, and out of a, a doorway came an older gentleman coming in the opposite direction. We were walking by. Our tour guide said, oh, Dr. Braddy, stop for a second. I want you to meet Catherine and Ben. Uh, ben is exploring, going into ministry at Biola, and Dr. Braddy said, Great to meet you. I'm late for class. But would you come back tomorrow? I'd love to pray for you. And for some reason, I was compelled to say, Okay. <laughs> I came back the next day, and he said he gave a time, and I came back the next day, and he prayed over me. And I just remember the tangible sense of the Spirit, the peace of God, in a way that I had never experienced probably up to that point. He wasn't trying to recruit me to Northwest University. He was simply praying a blessing over me and in my life and on my call into ministry. From there, I began to explore what it could look like. You know, if the Spirit of God dwells even amongst the Pentecostals, two blocks away from my home, could it possibly be that God would have me go to school here? It wasn't a sign from heaven and took many more confirmations along the way. Apparently, I was slow to get the message that Dr. Brady not recruiting me, but the Holy Spirit was that I was intended to be at Northwest University. I could quickly connect dots and say, well, I guess I'm supposed to stay home, save a little bit of money. Uh, Maybe this thing with Catherine is serious. Uh, But what I didn't know was a month into my first semester at Northwest, I was introduced by my youth pastor. I was at Westminster Chapel at the time. And my youth pastor introduced me to a man named Tom Osborne, who was the pastor at Union Hill Church. And he offered me a job for some reason to be a youth intern. That was 18 years ago. And besides three winters in Appleton, Wisconsin, which we need not speak of at this point, I've been blessed to serve here for 15 of the last 18 years. And I wonder, when I think of pivotal moments, events, or encounters, I wonder, what if Dr. Braddy had not been late for class? What if he had not stepped out? What if five seconds more had passed and we went right past the hall of the room that he had been in. Would I have continued on the path to go to Biola? Northwest was not on my radar. Would I ever have met Tom Osborne from Union Hill Church or been introduced into the Alliance? Pivotal moments, events or encounters that seemingly change the whole direction or course of our life. Without them, the story at minimum would be very different. If not for Dr. Braddy, and his faithfulness to the Spirit. I'm pretty certain he didn't extend an offer for prayer forever, to everyone that he met. If not for that event and that obedience, I doubt that I would be standing here preaching this morning. If not for Acts 10, I find it doubtful that I would be standing here preaching. Preaching. And some of you might prefer that. But you are here. And if not for Acts 10, I don't know that you would be. Nor maybe this building would have ever been built. It's that significant and pivotal of a moment. Not just in Acts, as the story starts to shift to the Gentiles, but in church history as a whole. At minimum, the story would have been very different. Had Peter said... No, to the Spirit, I am not going to Caesarea. Perhaps God would have sent another. But Peter was the lead apostle, the lead of the church. And if Peter was not on board with this shift that was taking place, there easily could have been a split within the early church. The story would have been very different. Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom, so if he hadn't opened this door so to speak, would it have been opened? The gospel goes forth to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. Peter too was obedient, as Dr. Braddy would later be, to the prompting of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit that said, do this, go, be faithful, and do not hesitate. And we are seeking to learn that very same voice even today. What this pivotal moment From the two visions that take place and Peter's faithfulness to go and preach and then God's blessing of the pouring out of the Spirit on these Gentiles in Caesarea emphasized and indicated the full inclusion of Gentiles into the faith. Had Peter put the keys back in his pocket, the story would at least be very different. Wondering if it would be different for All Gentiles, all non-Jews, which is most of those of us gathered in the room today. Would the gospel have gone out in power to the ends of the earth? And from Jerusalem, Redmond, Washington is the ends of the earth. As my pastor used to say growing up, when we asked crazy questions like this, he would say, idle speculation. God is sovereign and providential. And mostly, I think that was to get us out of his hair, but from the reformed roots that he was in, it often shut us up. And so I love speculating, and I love wondering, and yet, on this topic, in this subject, we need not. This theme, the center of Peter's sermon that he preached, although it's in a parenthesis, I find interesting in, this, in the t- passage. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's the central point, And that we don't need to speculate on. Though the storyline of how that message becomes proclaimed in power and to the ends of the earth could have been very different without Peter's obedience. When you read that title, if you did, where did you put the emphasis? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Or, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They're both, well, they're not to be split apart. They're both powerful doctrines. But in Acts 10, the emphasis is on that simple three-letter word, all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's the message. It's nothing new. It's God's love and pursuit of all people's which continues from the beginning of the story to the end. We can go back and see it in so many places. I'll pick a famous one, Genesis 22. This is the continuing call of Abraham to be the father of nations. After Isaac, this is after the call to sacrifice Isaac. Here's what God says after Abraham's obedience and faith God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and in the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God gives this radical revelation of His heart for all peoples, for all nations, from the beginning of the story, though He has a special call upon Abraham and the people of Israel. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Ultimately, Jesus would be the offspring, the seed of Abraham. Through Isaac, Jacob, Judah, the tribe of Judah, the descendant of King David himself, would Jesus come and through Jesus, that seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus would clearly come and preach consistently that message for all who believe, whosoever believes, for all who are weary and come to me, for all who are thirsty. All, 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 whosoever. He would give the commission some of his final words that we famously know. Matthew 28:19 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And you know the rest. So Peter should have been expecting this. Should he not have been expecting the call to all? But he still seemed to have blind spots that needed to be revealed. Peter seemed to still have walls of discrimination That needed to be broken down. That theme will continue as I preach this morning. And it became evident to me that I was writing on this theme of breaking down walls. That that's the building of walls. The subject of walls is a supercharged kind of topic in our day. All I know is that Jesus was and still is in the business of breaking walls down. Up to this pivotal moment. There was a wall between Jewish believers and all other Gentiles. It seems at minimum that there was a hesitation to be faithful to Jesus' commission to go to all nations and his call to preach the gospel and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Because up to this point, about about ten years has now passed since Pentecost, and though Philip and others have been scattered through persecution, and Philip has gone preaching even into Samaria and by following the Spirit to reach the Ethiopian eunuch, a Gentile. But it seems as a whole, the church has not been faithful. The apostles have remained in Jerusalem. Well, God is giving Peter a nudge, at least, to go. And so he's been traveling around. We saw this in the last chapter. And he goes to Lydda, and he goes to Joppa. And God uses him in powerful ways to bring healing and resurrection power. While he's in Joppa, he has this vision And without this vision and the Holy Spirit's instruction, Peter was not on his way 30 miles north to Caesarea. Caesarea was the Roman capital of Judea. While Jerusalem was the Jewish capital of the region, Romans had rule. And Caesarea on the sea, on the Mediterranean, was a seaport and a vibrant, bustling city and was the Roman capital. So for Jews, they saw Caesarea representing Roman oppression and Roman rule. They had a nickname for it, the Daughter of Edom, a place of ungodliness and all that is unthinkable. The Jew would not live in Caesarea and they would do all they could to avoid it altogether. Peter was not on his way to visit the church of Caesarea. But the Holy Spirit had other plans. Jesus Lord of all, was about to be preached in power by Peter. And what we see is a theme that continues through Acts. It's fitting that the Gospel comes in power and the Spirit is poured out in fullness in Caesarea. A place that is least likely. As is consistently the case. The Gospel comes in power to the last and the lost and the least. As it always does. And Peter will now become a preacher of Jesus, Lord of all, a sermon that he should have been preaching faithfully, but hasn't up to this point because of the walls of separation and division that remained. But God had broken down those walls. Clearly in his story and clearly through the ministry of Jesus, the walls of division and separation were broken. And if his words and commission weren't enough, the picture that was given at his crucifixion when the veil in the temple was torn, should have been a clear symbolic freedom for all who would come to God. That innermost part of the temple was divided by this gigantic curtain, four inches thick. And when Jesus died and breathed his last upon the cross, that curtain tore from top to bottom, as if two hands came and grabbed the two top corners and just rent it apart. What God was showing was the sacrifice once and for all was acceptable. No longer would blood need to be shed. No longer would priests need to be mediating to come into the presence of God and be seen as holy. It is done. Jesus is the final sacrifice. It has been accepted. The veil is torn. But what that tearing meant, God was breaking down walls. He was breaking down barriers. Even ones that for a time He had set up. To pour out His favor upon the Jewish people. That time is over. All who come now have access to the presence of God. The forgiveness of God. The mercy seat of God. But for whatever reason, and I think it was because it was deeply ingrained in the hearts of the Jews, they grew up with those dividing walls. They grew up distanced and separated. And they still needed this wall broken down. They still needed to see clearly. Peter needed his eyes open. This would become one of the hallmark messages that Paul would proclaim. Again and again. That wall has been broken down. There is no division. There is no separation. He says famously in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I was born on March 28th. It was a birthday verse for me. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That would have been a, a more shocking bold statement than this other there's no neither there's no division between Jew and Greek, male or female, slave or free, to say that they are one with As descendants of Abraham, we both claim that lineage, even if you can't trace it because of Jesus Christ. That was a powerful statement. But apparently Peter needed this reminder, like we all do at times, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one comes on higher footing. And Peter needed his eyes open still, even to his own blind spots. Jesus, Lord of all, And that message isn't primarily to open our eyes to others. To the lost, the last, and the least. That message is primarily to open our eyes to ourselves as last, lost, and least. That Jesus Christ has come for all. He's come for me. Peter above anyone should have known that, shouldn't he? after all that he had seen and experienced, after rejecting Jesus and being pursued by Him, after denying Him and being restored by Him. If anyone was less deserving, Peter should have known it was him. But God not only restored him and rebuilt him, but commissioned him yet again to lead the church. And Peter still needed to have his eyes open. God was still after his heart. This time through his stomach, as is often the case, while he was hungry and waiting for lunch. God gave him this vision and showed him all kinds of food. All kinds. So the things that were unclean previously that he had never touched or eaten in his life, bacon and sausage and shrimp and lobster, the golden corral buffet being laid out before him, salivate. Oh, no, not Peter. Repudiate. He says, Surely not. By no means. Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. We have to get at the heart of this. And it's difficult for many of us who didn't grow up with strict dietary religious regulations, though some of you have other reasons for strict dietary restrictions. But to get at the heart of this, what peter was Peter's kosher diet, along with the Jews, was essentially part of their identity. It was not just a religious obedience it was part of who they were, what it meant to be Jewish. It was one of the few laws that they could know they kept in perfection when when so many of the ceremonial laws and regulations throughout scripture were f- fuzzy or easily broken, accidentally, ceremonial cleanliness. There were so many ways to become unclean and then methods of purification that your whole life was a cycle of becoming unclean and then being cleansed and offering sacrifices. Laws like keeping the Sabbath were fuzzy. Did I fully keep the Sabbath this day? Did I do the right amount of work? And they, the, the Jews wrote an incredible amount of extra regulations in the Talmud so you knew exactly whether you could. Keep, you honored the Sabbath that day. But what about honoring father and mother? Did you do that today perfectly? There was a reason for the sacrificial system. So you could bring an offering in your place saying, I know where I have sinned. I know there's areas that I don't even know if I've sinned. And I want to be right with God. And that was the whole rhythm of their life. But in this one, this one, Peter and his fellow Jews would have said, we've done this one perfectly. When you grow up in a kosher household and you never eat a meal in your life with a non-Jew, you don't accidentally eat bacon or a crab or a snake. It doesn't jump onto your plate. So here's one, one area that Peter is saying, in this I have been perfect my whole life. And Jesus, now you are saying this means nothing. Get at the heart and the identity of what that would have felt like for Peter. Peter didn't see this as a blessing. I've heard this sermon preached like, hey Peter, you're going to eat bacon now. And Peter probably didn't need to acquire a taste for bacon, but I bet it tasted awful to him. This didn't feel like something that was being added to Peter or given to Peter. It felt like something that was being stripped away. Part of his identity, the, the, it was what it meant to be him was gone. Peter's identity, at least in part, was still in his religion. He had been delivered by Jesus, but he was being delivered by Jesus. He'd been converted, but he was still being converted out of his religion to a relationship with the living God. And Peter walks out of this encounter broken, humbled, more in tune with the heart of God, and yet this would continue to be a battle for him that he would wrestle with in the years ahead. Because his identity was so tied to it. And it's ironic that he and his fellow Jewish Christians, they believed they were doing right by keeping kosher. They believed they were still honoring God when in fact... That identity, which became an idolatry, was keeping them from full obedience to Jesus and the commission to go and preach to the ends of the earth, to all nations. It's hard to share the gospel with someone that you will not sit down at a table and eat with. Almost impossible. Because that dividing wall remains. Let's speak of freedom and life and yet I will not break bread with you or come into your home. That doesn't work. But they were blinders for the Jews because they had been commissioned to live this way and it's all they had known. Jesus and God was breaking down these walls. Not just the wall of the temple and access, but the walls of division between peoples The walls in Peter's own heart were being broken down. Again, Paul would famously write of this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following, about this wall being broken down. He's writing to Ephesus to Gentile believers, a church that he planted. We'll see it in the coming chapters. But he writes this Therefore, remember, you Gentiles, that you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Basically, a derogatory term you're lesser you're other than but remember that you were at that time separated from Christ you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel you were strangers to the covenants of the promise having no hope and you were without God in the world but now but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The veil has been torn. I said Paul would continue to hammer on this theme of unity. and We could go to many other places. Now Peter, if, if charged by Paul of his dividing wall of hostility, he probably would have said, hostile, whoa, 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 way too harsh. We're not hostile toward Gentiles. We see God's love. We're just holier than they are. and both of those are dividing walls equally as thick. Our holiness is not measured against others. Our holiness is measured to Jesus Christ. And we all fall short. Let us not confuse moral holiness with spiritual holiness. As if one means or guarantees the other. Peter, and therefore the early church, had allowed walls of division even hostility to remain walls between them the jewish believers and all others samaritans gentiles greeks hellenists walls that god had abolished and broken down and peter had blind spots he needed to see and he did you notice that he saw the vision 3 times It seems that Peter has this history of needing to see or hear something three times before getting it. I don't know if anyone has hope in that. It gives me encouragement. Do you know that God was not concerned with changing Peter's diet? He didn't care if Peter remained kosher or not. He cared about Peter's heart and changing his heart. The vision that was given of the food was not just related to food. God's not all all that concerned with that. The vision was a picture for the Gentiles. Peter, what you are doing is avoiding what I have said. Go after. I have called them clean because of Christ. Do not call them common. The way you're living is avoiding them and distancing yourself. And that is not my heart, Peter. But so that I can get at your heart, let me use food as an example. And he got it. Whether he ever abandoned the kosher diet or not, we don't know. In Galatians, we see him once again separating and eating only with Jews. It becomes a continual battle for Peter. But in this moment, walls are being broken down. He's becoming humble. He's seeing it. And He's walking in faith progressively. We can build the same kinds of walls. Division. Even hostility. Or we can simply allow them to remain when we've been tasked with tearing them down. Out of arrogance or out of ignorance. Walls dividing cultures. Skin colors. Social classes. Religions. Religions. But even within the church, we build walls. The theme this week of our 100 days of prayer, 100 churches praying for 100 days, was the reconnection of churches. God, break down the walls that exist among us. That we have built or have allowed. What of our behaviors and our beliefs do we consider more holy or more right than others? They just haven't quite come to Grow enough to see the right way. The right path. And if we can do it with things like worship styles or Bible translations or alcohol consumption, we can do it on much deeper matters of the heart. Building dividing walls between us and them. Be that believers or lost people we can build rather than building equity we can fuel hostility and pride is so subtle it blinds us often others see it when we don't so for me to ask you so where is your pride the foolish question where is where are your blind spots especially in these areas there's a reason they're called blind spots (laughs) So here's a different question. How are you trying to make others be more like you rather than more like Jesus? Because it would just be easier if they behaved like you and looked like you. It would just be a whole lot easier. We could get along. Until this very pivotal moment in the church to become a Christian you had to first become a Jew. You had to first become, if you were male, circumcised. You had to begin eating kosher. You had to start following the Sabbath. After all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So therefore, to receive Him, and all can receive Him, but you must go first through the door of conversion to Judaism. And this became a dividing line even within the church. Praise God that Peter is faithful and responds and opens this door, even as he's coming to wrestle with it himself. Paul would say, Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul had some really harsh words for those that continued to enforce these religious regulations upon People who were coming to believe in Jesus. Gentiles who were coming to believe. I, I won't even quote him here. It's in the Bible, so I could probably quote him. But something to the effect, if you like mutilating the flesh and you think that's what makes you holy, then maybe you should go even further. Peter would still continue to struggle with this, but he, in this moment, he continues. He's starting to learn and these walls are starting to be broken down. And apparently... That should give us a reminder and a hope that this is hard to learn. That pride is hard to be completely broken. That we build walls, God tears them down. We rebuild them, God tear them down. And this simple moment that seems like we just pass through it, especially in reading 48 verses this morning, Peter invites them into his house. We almost don't catch that, but that is a huge gospel moment. Until then, it would have, there would have been a division at the door you're Gentiles, you are not welcome. But he is now seen, and he said, God is opening my eyes. Come in. And it doesn't say what happened, but you've got to assume that they are eating together. Whether Peter is ready to try bacon or not, we don't know. But he's eating with them, and the next day he travels with them, and it takes them two days. It's a lot of meals. Well, in that culture, they may have had one meal a day, so it's at least a couple. But they ate together together, he was hospitable. It's a huge gospel win and gospel moment. And then the sermon that he preaches is wall-breaking. Peter's pre- Don't miss this. Peter is preached in boldness and power with incredible effect. Thousands coming to put their faith in Jesus after he stands up and preaches. But this may have been his most significant sermon. And it may have been his most difficult one. You can almost hear his own wrestling and his own walls and pride being broken as he is preaching, as he is working it out. Verse 34 and following, when he opens his mouth, he says, truly, I understand. It's almost like now I see. I was blind, but now I see. God shows no partiality. Almost a confession in that. I've been living with partiality. But in his presence and his proclamation with these Gentile believers in Caesarea, some of the least likely He's proclaiming that that wall is being broken down. In every nation, anyone who fears Him is acceptable to Him. Anyone who is pursuing Him, the door is open. The door through Jesus. He'll clearly say, verse 36, Jesus is Lord of all. The central point that He hammers. To Him, verse 43, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes will receive forgiveness through His name. You hear that processing. It is now open to all. And his sermon gets cut off, just like other famous sermons, by the Holy Spirit. That's enough. I'm going to fall upon you. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome at any point to do that, even in my introductions. The Holy Spirit cut him off and poured out. And the language is very similar to the first Pentecost. Luke is, I think, very clear that the, the sec- this second mini-Pentecost has come to the gentiles. They didn't need to become Jews. Everything that we experience has now been poured out upon them. Is there anything that they can't experience? Shouldn't they not be fully baptized now? They are one with us. That's the picture. God confirms it. Thankfully there were six others. We find that out in the next the next chapter that Peter brought with him to be witnesses so that when he went back, when he goes back and tells the rest of the church, the apostles of what happened, It's not just, well, Peter, yeah, okay, we trust you, but, you know, you don't have the best track record. So, now there's six other men going, we saw it, we were there. The Spirit was poured out in power just as He came to us on the first Pentecost. To the Gentiles. And they go, okay, the door has been opened to the Gentiles. If Peter needed to see his blind spots and his pride, Is it possible that we do? If I ask you, where are the walls that you have built? Or the walls that you have allowed? You'd probably respond like I would. I I haven't built any walls. I have no hostility. You'd be right in line with Peter. Where are our blind spots? Where are the walls that we have built at the edge of the church parking lot? Between churches? Around our heart? To our neighbors? If you want to do a little exercise, I was convicted this week, so I'm with you in this. Take out a piece of paper. I know all of you have a piece of paper because you're taking notes, but if you have a a place where you can draw your house or a square for your apartment, go ahead, draw that in, however however big you think your house is. Draw your four closest neighbors. Squares or circles, let's not get too intense here, just a square. So if you're in a, a hallway apartment or a dorm, you have to be creative where that, where, that, where that doorway is. But who are the four closest neighbors in proximity to your current home? And if you're in a traditional neighborhood, which is probably only a few of us, but if you are, it would be a house across, a house behind, even if their door, your door don't face, maybe they're, they're right there on the backyard, or two houses on either side. shouldn't be a hard picture. You should probably be done drawing unless you're scrambling for a piece of paper. Can you write the names of everyone who lives in those homes? Kids included. Can you write where they work or if they're retired, where they worked for their career? Can you write what their faith is if they have faith? And yes or no, have they been in your house for a meal? If you're like me, I'm guessing that that might help you see that walls remain. No, we haven't built all the walls. And if you're like us, this means Mormon, agnostic, muslim buddhist i i haven't built all those walls but what am i doing to tear them down we have blind spots lord help us see them i'm just asking you to pray on that no further application god show us where we do not see convict our hearts to see You more fully. Lord, make us hungry and thirsty. Help us love and pursue the lost, the last, and the least as You do. Remind us that You've loved and pursued us the least of all. Gentile sinners, You've torn down walls. Do it again to the ones we've built or allowed to remain. We are here by Your grace and mercy alone. And Holy Spirit, fall on us anew. Without Your help, none of this is possible. With your help and in the strength of Christ alone, all things are possible for God's glory and for our joy. Amen.